Our reading is taken from Matthew chapter 8 and reading from verse 28. Matthew 8, verse 28, and you can find that on page 973. And when he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them was a large herd of pigs who were feeding. And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Thanks, John. Morning. When I was a little girl... I used to spend quite a lot of time with my grandma, Joan. Grandma was quite quirky. She was quite fun to be around. Cool things happened with grandma. I used to drive my parents crazy, hiding from them whenever they came to pick me up from her house. One morning, we went for a walk in the forest near where she lived. We took a fairly familiar route, and just as we were talking about and practicing self-defense, which we regularly did, she felt this was wise as we were walking in Epping Forest, I looked down and realized that we were walking on a sea of tiny frogs. Grandma Joan bent down and scooped up hundreds in her hand to show me. And she said in a really matter-of-fact way, they have clearly come down with the rain. I didn't question this. She was my grandma and the font of all knowledge and wisdom. I thought it was cool. I picked them up too. They were so tiny and so detailed. And for the rest of the walk, we had to walk really carefully because there were pools of them everywhere. Now, I wasn't at all perturbed by this strange display. The frogs didn't threaten me. The thought of them falling out of the sky didn't. I have subsequently looked it up. It is a thing. Because my grandma had explained the phenomena in a way that I never really had to question. It was just something cool that happened when I was out with grandma. But a herd of pigs all following one another and flinging themselves off the edge of a cliff and plunging to their death 
would have been a wholly different matter, especially if my family had relied upon them for their livelihood. It's no wonder that the locals in the passage, once they discovered he was behind it, wanted Jesus gone. Now, the phrase, when pigs fly. Generally, doesn't it, refers to something that is highly unlikely to ever happen. In my household, like the children tidying the room, emptying the dishwasher, doing the washing up, or doing anything, actually, in my adult time frame. And in our broadly secular culture, all the occurrences around Jesus in the run-up to this passage in Matthew 8 would neatly fit into this category, wouldn't they? Highly unlikely. We've seen with each encounter in chapter 8 an increasingly dramatic depiction of Jesus' dominion over the physical. But here in this passage, we see that Jesus also has dominion over the psychic Chapter 8 starts, doesn't it, with Jesus' dominion over bodily diseases that are irresistible to us. Next, he powers, overpowers the wind and the waves of a storm, uncontrollable to us. And then in the final passage of the chapter, we see his dominion over demons, which are the most formidable and damaging of all to us. So the Jesus, who in the preceding chapters on the Sermon on the Mount had the authority to teach, is the same Jesus who can deal with every situation that we might face. So the very first thing we can take away from this passage and the one that precedes it is that Jesus is Lord of nature, both the physical and the psychic. He stills both the storms of the sea and the storms of the mind. And the area in which this takes place across the other side of the lake, it says in verse 28, is also significant for it was pagan territory. On this eastern shore there were demons and pigs unclean things. The people there really needed help. And this is the climax of the whole chapter, which sees Jesus along cultural outsiders, first lepers, then Gentiles, followed by a woman, and ending with these demon-possessed pagans. Now, we can be uncomfortable with the idea of the demonic if we want to. The modern age has provided rational answers to many of the illnesses that are sometimes attributed to demons in the Bible. But there are some things that remain that we remain extensively ignorant to. And like it or not, a rational account of life requires the inclusion of the mysterious, the stuff that we can't quite explain. And Jesus himself recognises the demonic. Now that in itself could be seen as a minimum requirement for the right reading of this passage. Now, 
the demons. What's interesting is that unlike the disciples, go back to verses 26 and 27, who are confused as to who Jesus is, the demons know immediately in whose presence they're in. We begin the chapter with the pure faith of the leper. If you remember, if you want to, you can make me clean. And we end with this impure faith of the demons. Why are you meddling with us? The demons recognize Jesus. Supernatural forces have a clearer view of who Jesus is than we do. Notice they don't call Jesus by his name. And as we'll see in a bit, there is power in his name. But they use his title, Son of God. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time, they ask in verse 29? It's thought that the demons anticipated their own destruction in the last judgment. But this question suggests that Jesus' appearance to them in that moment prematurely anticipates the judgment. Which brings us to the second thing I want to draw out of this passage. That it is not only Jesus' presence, but also his name that has power that is hard for us to imagine. There is a preacher and an evangelist in America called Charlene Bodie. Charlene was brought up a Christian and had a really strong faith. Her mother taught her early on that there was power in the name of Jesus. Amen. At 17, Charlene was kidnapped by a recently released convicted rapist from a street corner in Denver, Colorado, where she lived. He whispered in her ear all the things that he wanted to do to her and he bundled her into the back of his car and drove off at speed. Charlene prayed. She turned to God. She remembered the words of her mother that at the name of Jesus, people would either bend the knee or flee. So, having prayed and with those words of her mother's in her head, Charlene said to her kidnapper, Mister, do you know Jesus? He looked at her like she was insane and gave no response. So she waited a moment or two and said it again. Mister, do you know Jesus Christ? This time, he went nuts. He slammed the accelerator down to the floor, speeding like a maniac and muttering, in her words, like he was demon-possessed. So she said it again. Mister, do you know Jesus Christ? At that, he shrieked no, slammed on the brakes of the car and kicked her out. Now later, when she was being interviewed by the police, who assumed she'd use mace or pepper spray to overcome her abductor, she was able to tell them that she was armed only with the name of Jesus. She witnessed so powerfully to those officers that day that her story is told at every self-defense course that is held in that police department in Denver, Colorado. There is power in the name Jesus. Wherever Jesus, his name or his gospel is preached, time 
shifts. We see in the passage, in the presence of Jesus, the demons are tormented. In their cries, we can see emotional instability, mental confusion, and, if we look deeper, the spiritual slavery of the secular world. The secular world cannot see what is really happening in the deepest issues of life, but the supernatural can see it. Jesus' presence in the world, by his word and in his church, is in essence the expulsion of evil. I know this is incredible to contemplate, but just one of us sitting in our office or in a coffee shop or on a bus or in a supermarket, just our simple existence of follow, as followers of Jesus is resistance to evil. Look in verses 31 to 32. The demons know absolutely their powerlessness in the presence of Jesus they beg him to send them into the pigs. To which Jesus simply and calmly responds with the word, go. We need be no more aggressive in our expulsion and rejection of evil. Jesus' name can simply be enough. So what of the poor pigs? The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. The whole herd and everything in them, at the word of Jesus, are drowned. The pigs, sadly, and the demons. But whilst we do spare a thought for the herdsmen and those whose livelihood went over the cliff and died in the water, we cannot ignore the call to ask ourselves whether the town itself is under some kind of demonic influence too. In their response to Jesus in verse 34, does the city value possessions, economics and personal security over the rehabilitation of its people? Jesus has fully restored two men to their community. Two men are fully restored back into the workforce. Can they not see that Jesus' presence is beneficial to them? Can they only see what happens to their businesses, their wealth, their bottom line, and not the very positive impact upon the people? And this leads us to the third and final thing that I want us to notice in this passage, and that is how we should respond to it. How do we respond to Jesus. I think the passage makes it clear that we have two options. Once we've encountered Jesus, we have a choice. We can follow him or we can be scared stiff of him. But the passage doesn't leave us any room for indifference. Jesus' words and his presence are incredibly powerful. And yet, we see that he's not pushy. When the townsfolk plead with him to leave, Jesus leaves. This 
will be the pattern of our own ministry and the model that we too should follow. Many to many, the ministry of Jesus, when we encounter them, will look like it's against people's prosperity, against their progress. It'll be contrary to individuality, and it'll be in contrast to the values of our culture. So on the one hand, we have the power and immediacy of Jesus, and on the other, the resistance of the world under the influence of irrational passions and unhelpful desires. And it will always be hard to walk away from those we long to reach. It must have been agonizing for Jesus when again and again he was misunderstood and rejected to the point of crucifixion. And yet in Matthew 10:16, a bit further on, Jesus calls us to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. We can listen to and read the situations and the people to which we are led. We can challenge and we can comfort, but we are to go in with our eyes open and alert. Then we can be confident, but we cannot afford to be naive about the evil forces that are at work in the world. If we get the chance, we can explain what we know of Jesus. A bit like my grandma calmly and confidently explaining the plague of frogs. We too can be confident in our interpretation of events, of situations, of places and of people. Some will listen, some will follow, some will block their ears and some will run. This is the Jesus that we follow and the Jesus that we're called to make known to the world. And however challenging that may be, and may I remind you that at no point does the Bible suggest it will be easy, but however challenging it is, this passage leaves us with a strong reminder that ultimately the healing and restoring nature of the gospel will overcome all the forces of evil and chaos, illness and death. For Jesus has power over heaven and earth, and he has the keys of hell too. There is no escape, for he is Lord. Amen. Amen.